0: Welcome back to World on Drugs, everybody. I am your host, Steve Fury. We are back for part two of the history of white supremacist gangs and groups in America. We'll bring back my guy, Zach Um, You know, this is a pretty interesting episode. I've had fun doing it. Uh, definitely made me realize how bad I am at reading, but, you know, we're going to work on that together, guys. Um, this should be one of the last episodes we're doing in my studio studio, which is a uh, studio I have in my studio apartment. Uh, should be moving into the Comedy Store basement soon. There's studios there. Going to be a lot better setup. Going to be able to bring a lot, um, maybe higher profile guests, even though some of our guests are pretty good. It's just, you know, I don't want to bring Burk or someone into my tiniest little fucking studio apartment. This is another episode, you know, Robin fitch McCullough, our researcher, did it. Great job. Uh, we go pretty in-depth. Um, God, what can I say? I don't know. This has been a pretty fun one to do, you know. Uh, the two-parter allowed me to get ahead of episodes, so now we're a couple weeks ahead of time. This one was a little bit harder to edit because, uh, well, I'm borderline uh, remedial. So, But I think I got this out. Somehow I lost the video. For the last part of this episode, so if you're one of the people that do watch it on YouTube, there's not many of you. So, I don't really give a fuck. Most of our listeners are on podcasts. Uh, so, once again, we got my buddy Zach Um, You may know him from MTV's Wild Party Stories, the TV show Shameless, a bunch of commercials in the Bay. Um, check out his podcast, The Hesby Street Pod. That's got a bunch of my friends. I've done it a bunch of times. You know, a lot of things happening right now. I'm thinking about changing the name of the podcast. Um, am thinking about going something a little more hitch in the dick. Kind of like, uh, I'm thinking of Warlords, Drug Dealers, and Criminals. That way when people see the image, um, they can better grasp what the epi- episode and show is about. Because World on Drugs name right now. It was what I initially wanted the podcast to be. It was kind of more just talking to people and getting their experiences with using drugs. But... I kind of like this up uh, this way we do it more and i think uh changing the name might help but uh, you know dm me guys if you guys think i should or shouldn't either way where it's up in the air i'm getting someone to work on the logo right now logo's pretty fucking sick i'll be honest with you but the textiles and like the font of the other stuff i'm kind of suspicious of so i'm not sure how have i been doing well, the friggin' world's opening back up, so that's nice. I just got on tour, went, just was on tour in San Francisco. Um, that was a blast, man. Went super hard, took my girlfriend up there, Jordan, for her first time in San Francisco. We ate, drank, and ran around the city like kings. I want to give a shout-out to Dope Comedy Show Bay Area for booking me on those shows. Uh, I got it open for my friend Allie Makofsky. She's going to be on this podcast soon, probably when I bring it from Bing into my apartment to the Comedy Store Studios. I got open for Chris Titus. Um, I don't know if you know Chris Titus. He used to be pretty big in the early 2000s and 90s. He used to have a show called Titus on um, Fox. That was pretty cool to open for him, man. You know, I I have opened for a lot of my idols, but when I started dating my girlfriend, apparently she was one of the few people that had every season of Titus on her as a kid growing up, like the box sets. So like when I told her I was a comedian, she was like, oh, do you know Christopher Titus? I was like, yeah, I know him. It's kind of a random guy to bring up. But to be able to open for him, it kind of, you know, gives you a validity to your career and makes you look good to the people that love you. The next episode, uh, after this one, next week, we got already recorded it with my buddy Jason Chinney. Um, make sure you follow him. Check him out. Um, it's going to be about the Bamboo Union, which is a Taiwanese uh, gang that came out of the Kumatang from china during their uh when they're switching over over from the old guard to what now communist china that one's pretty great you know we got someone who actually jason is actually taiwanese and has some insights that you know we haven't really had uh, personal insights from the guests on a lot of these things which you know could change in the future um we're just now getting our uh legs under us understanding the structures, getting a little bit better I definitely enjoyed the structure of this this episode and the last one where we kind of go through the timeline and give a quick synopsis after each era. That seems to be working pretty good. <sighs> anyway, man, I'm just so excited that the world's coming back. And it really is, man. And people are so excited to be out. And they think it's a blessing that we're doing this. It's a, I think it's a blessing that they're coming out. And you know, guys, just get ready because the next couple of years are going to be life changing and it's going to be a time that we never really experienced. And I think it's going to be good. Um, so you know, get vaccinated or don't and get sick, but I don't really give a fuck. So if you want to come and see me, um, May 6th through the 9th, I'll be at the Laugh Factor Las Vegas with Jesus Trejo, May 13th to the 15th, I'll be at the Punchline Sacramento with. My man Brian Simpson, you saw him on one of these episodes. I'll probably get Jesus on one of these episodes coming up. Maybe I'll record it. I mean, I'll probably record it with him once, uh, when I'm on the road with him. June um, 3rd through the 5th, I'll be at the American Comedy Company with Jesus Trejo. May 20th through the 22nd, I'll be in Tempe Improv back in Phoenix. Love that city. Well, I love the people. I don't know if I love the city. I love the comedy club. Cities, you know, everything's taupe. It's like you guys don't have to paint everything brown i promise i promise you don't and a huge news where if you are a los angeles local or you know me from this scene on june 16th the day after june 15th the whole country opens um we'll be bringing back bear city and if you don't know what that is that's me and my buddy trevor hill's flagship show in long beach california where we bring the best comics for free and It's the one thing that allowed me to get better in comedy in L.A. when no one would book me. And it feels like I just can't wait to see it back and can't wait to have the vibes on such a great venue. So come to one of these shows if you guys want. Once again, shout out to our researcher Robin Fitch McCullough. He crushed it. I just sent him two more projects. Hopefully they come back. Um, Enjoy the show. Enjoy the episode. I had a great time. We got a bunch of stuff coming. I think the show's finally getting some legs on it. So uh, check it out. Enjoy it. Peace, guys. See you in a show soon. Bye. The Nazi Lowriders Motorcycle Club is created out of a youth prison with tra- ties to the Aryan Brotherhood. Allies of both the Aryan Brotherhood and Mexican Mafia, their primary opponents become black gangs, which they compete in the drug trade. So this is now when gangs in the prison are starting to venture out. Just like how the Mexican Mafia runs helps run MS-13 and all these yeah. kinds of stuff, and where you can bring a lot of the most powerful gangs on the street, really somehow, I don't really understand
1: how, go back to people in jails really can... It's crazy to think that that's where decisions are made. You know? Where they can't really choose anything else in their day-to-day life. I think of the same thing. I'm always just like, why would I be letting this guy in a
0: box dictate what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, we could all just say no. No. Yeah.
0: Like we all just come together and say Is it no. It's
1: cool. Like he's the boss. Like, man, that guy's like the OG it's that OG sentiment. Gotta 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 be that. Gotta be something like that.
0: So then we're gonna do a quick little uh that's actually not theme that bad. About the Nazi lowriders MC. The Nazi lowriders were found in the 1970s by a guy named John Stinson, a white supremacist, while he was an inmate in a California youth authority prison. Southern California, once Dude, again, coming Cali, in. man. You know, yeah, it's really funny. Like, we go about the South, talking all this shit about the yeah. South. California and the Pacific Northwest got a lot of white supremacist shit in there. Yeah. The small numbers are of Latinos were allowed to join the Nazi lowriders, and they were put. They uh, they were actually the Latinos were the lowriders part of Nazi. Oh. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was about to say it makes sense. It doesn't make that <laughs> they were the guys who were the lowriders part, and they put on the front line. So, like, I mean, they just made like these Mexican guys get in. They made the guys sell drugs so they wouldn't Fuck. get in
1: trouble. I mean, dude, why would they even work for? I mean, ah. sellouts, man.
0: Yeah. Just sad people that were probably in a way where they had no one else to look upon. Yeah. These guys showed them a light. I mean, right? they're pieces of shit. And, yeah, 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 totally. But at some point, they are probably a decent person. So yeah. Know. In recent years, the Nazi lowrider spread from the California Youth Authority in the adult prisons of California and several other states. All, mother, all members must be loyal to the white race and subscribe to an ideology of hate, especially against blacks and race traitors. Although experts report that most NLR crimes outside of prison are related to the drug trade, NLR members, Nazi lowriders, have been involved in some of the most disturbing hate crimes in California's history, including the kidnapping and murder of a bisexual man, a f- near-fatal hammer attack on an African American, and a baseball attack on a black youth. In recent years, the NLR has faced the same countermeasures as the declining Aryan Brotherhood. The NLR has been declared a prison gang, which warrants the segregation of gang members while they are in prison. This strategy, along with the 2003 convictions of several NLR leaders, has led the NLR to make alliances with smaller, less well-known group, namely the Public Emily Number no. 1, p9 and NLR have worked with the Aryan Brotherhood in various combinations in the drug trade.
1: Damn. It's crazy that it went from the youth prison to the adults. Like, oh, what are the they kids up to these days? Well, hate. <laughs> Severe race-based hate. <laughs> Doing good, then. I guess we tried. We <laughs> told- right, I can try those on. I've been wearing baggier pants. Uh, yeah,
0: they just got older and then went to the ones. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're in that, ugh, I don't know, such a terrible name, too. Nazi Nancy like, How about Penai?
1: Penai, yeah, <laughs> both. He's not great. Nazi lowriders is a funny one.
0: Nazi lowriders. I mean, as cool as a Nazi
1: name would be, that would probably be one of the cooler
0: ones. Right. But it just seems like a problem to put it on your jacket.
1: Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean?
0: Like, there's no hiding that. It's kind of like when you see, like, a guy who, like, you know, he's got a giant shirt and on jersey on, fancy shoes, pants, and he just looks like a drug dealer, and he gets in trouble, and he's like, how'd you know it was me? It's because you're
1: wearing the outfit
0: of a drug dealer.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also feel like the guy who's like uh, stitching the vest that first order for a Nazi lowrider vest. He's like, are you sure? (laughs) You know, he definitely dropped off like, all right, man, good luck with everything. (laughs) It's like the guys who do
0: custom cakes. (laughs) Tim's 50th birthday cocks in your butt. Tim, you sure? Sure.
1: Okay. all right.
0: We're the only place that I bet there's not many places that allow you just sew on whatever you want to.
1: Right, it's like, I suggest you buy the insurance for this fast because I think you're going to want it redone.
0: Late 1970s, the skinhead revival in the British punk scene is accompanied by a rise in hostility by black and white members to Asian immigrants in the UK. Same shit we got today. Increasingly, skinheads become synonymous with white, white supremacist street gangs in the UK. They influence both the punk and white supremacist movements in the U.S.,
1: it's that damn rock and roll the kids are listening to, man. <laughs> that ska,
0: that <laughs> goddamn devil once you, music. Once you get a band, like listen, rock and roll, go, rock All and roll, rock and roll is good. But once you put in a horn section, mm-hmm. that's when the racists come out. They're playing off the beats. That's where the devil lives. <laughs> October twenty second, nineteen eighty three. So this world word has been fucking me up the whole time. Recidivist criminal Tom. Thomas Silverstein murders correctional officers Merle Cutts. He is sentenced to life in prison and he eventually rises to be the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood.
1: Okay. I don't
0: know why I'm fucking got the allergies right now. Mm. So this is kind of the one. This guy this guy's uh, fucking crazy badass Aryan Brotherhood motherfucker. So Thomas Silverstein f- was born fe- February 4th 1952 and he lived to May 11th, 2019. Where is he from? Culver City? Yeah, he's from where <laughs> exactly probably where we're from. Um, he was an American criminal who spent the last 42 years of his life in prison after being convicted of four separate murders while in prison for armed robbery, one of which was overturned. Silverstein spent the last 36 years of his life in solitary confinement Holy. for killing confection Confections Officer Merle Cutts at the Marion Penitentiary in Illinois. Holy shit. And when I tell you, and this ain't even it, when I tell you solitary confinement, this guy was on next level. I mean, he had, his rule was no human interactions.
1: Oh my God, bro.
0: So the guy was by himself in a prison where he got notes and robots brought him. I mean, no robots, but he didn't talk to a single fucking person 36 years.
1: That is like comic book evil like that's like the type of evil where you're like well that doesn't exist in real life yeah that's fucking bane that's how yeah, Bane was made right i mean dude there's no way like he was a bad guy maybe a monster to begin with but 36 years of solitary confinement he like he's a weapon of like hate yeah and death and like insanity and as Fine. you would get if you live that way i mean obviously piece of shit and should be killed but it's just like Damn, dude, 36 years years in solitary confinement. That would
0: be 23 hours a day you're in your cell, I believe, and you get one hour a day outside of it. And it's not like in a field. It's like you're pacing in a fucking dog cage. Right. Prison authorities describe him as a brutal killer and a former leader of the Aryan Brotherhood prison gang. Silverstein maintains that the dehumanizing conditions inside the prison system contributed to the three murders he committed. Maybe, but you were still in prison. Right. He was held in a specifically designed cell in what is called Range 13 at ADX Florence Federal Penitentiary in Colorado. He was the longest held prisoner in solitary confinement within the Bureau of the Prisons at
1: the time of his death. That's fucking, that is like Bane or like some X-Men type shit. Yeah, I mean, just to be... I mean, when you're
0: left alone with your thoughts, you become a great.
1: And to, like, develop your own type of prison cell. Gnarly. You're a bad dude. You're so, the under-the-jail type of guy.
0: So now we're going to see what happened in the murder of Officer Klutz. October twenty second, 1983. Silverstein killed Corrections Officer Merle Klutz at USP Marion. After being let out of his cell for a shower, Silverstein used a ruse to get Klutz to walk ahead of him and positions himself between Klutz and other officers. He stopped outside the cell of another inmate, Randy Gomez. Gomez passed a homemade prison knife, Shiv, to Silverstein and unlocked Silverstein's handcuffs with the homemade key. Holy fuck. Silverstein then attacks Klutz, stabbing him multiple times. Silverstein later claimed that he murdered Klutz in retaliation for Klutz, deliberately harassing him. Along with other things, Klutz was accused of destroying paintings by Silverstein. Dude,
1: that's what I mean. Guys, I don't know if any of you are training to be a corrections officer. Support their art. Yeah. (laughs) Do not
0: take down a finger painting they made. From what I've learned on this and other things we've done here. If a white guy is trying to be an artist, support him. Because Hitler, this guy, (laughs) we don't take it well, okay? (laughs) Right. So just tell us our paintings are good. Just be chill. Right. A few hours later, Clayton Fountain, also an Aryan Brotherhood member, used the same strategy to kill Corrections Officer Robert Huffman. USP Marion was subsequently placed on an indefinite lockdown, which ultimately lasted for 23 years. What? Wait, wait, were they like in charge for those 23 years? No, not the bad guys. So what happens is these guys kill these people. Yeah. And what we're about to see what's going to happen. Oh, actually, we got a couple more paragraphs on this. What we're going to happen is that the police corrections, which, you know, they make from what I were about to hear, they make a great point. They got to set a fucking bar that if you fuck with corrections officers. Shit will never be the same again. Probation mode type of yeah. shit. Okay. The, probate, okay, the worst okay. probation you can ever have. Gotcha. So Silverstein claimed that no that the no human contract that he got so when he so when Silverstein went into isolation, mm-hmm. he had a no human contact status. As in like no one would come and see him, anything, no officers, anyone. So he was complaining and he tried to sue the place that this was inhumane which
1: it is. It is, yeah,
0: for sure. But what they say, okay, okay. so he goes, no human contact status is essentially a form of torture reserved for those oh, who killed corrections officers. So uh-huh. that's what the corrections people are saying. When an inmate kills a guard, he must be punished. Yeah. A Bureau of Prisons officer told Pete Early, we can't execute Silverstein, so we have no choice but to make his life a living hell mm-hmm. otherwise inmates will want to kill guards too mm-hmm. maybe we, we could have done to the fucking louisiana people made right made, made it not seem so set fu- an example set an example that, like this doesn't when you do this you're gonna be fucked right back to the quote there has been some supreme punishment every convict knows what silverstein is going through we want them to realize that if they cross the same light he did they will pay a heavy price I mean, I'm fine with that, man.
1: Yeah, look, if 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 they're like he needs human contact, if people are like you know, uh, like civil rights people, like give him human contact, like you fucking contact him, dude. (laughs) I'm touching that motherfucker. (laughs) He's a monster. Don't
0: touch his paintings. If I could tell you anything (laughs) to do, tell him he can paint. Ted Sellers, a former convict who met with Silverstein during 25 years spent in prison, he said he became Silverstein became a legend at Leavenworth. Sellers told BBC News online, "He's not as bad as they portray. Sure, he is dangerous if they push him to the wall, but there were some dirty, rotten guards at Marion." they would purposely screw you around. You're dealing with a person who's locked up 23 hours a day. Of course he's got a short fuse. Silverstein died on May 11, 2019 after spending 36 years in solitary confinement. He died of complications from heart surgery.
1: Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Like I'm sure there were no there was no clear-cut good guy. You know, I'm sure I mean if that guards like walking up and tearing up your painting I'm not saying you deserve to be stabbed in the neck or whatever, but, like, you're asking for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's to me, though, like, like, okay, you want to be a cop, you believe that you want to, you know, you know, you could be, like, a bad guy that just wants to do this white supremacy kind of thing, but of the police and the sheriffs and some people that I know that are my family members, they want to make a positive yeah. effect on the world. Yeah. You want to be a prison guard... Kind of more seems like to me you're a guy who feeds off having power over other people, right? Because it's a because what are you really doing as a pretty as prison guard? I mean, we still need them, yes, but like,
1: and we also need them to kind of be mean to these guys. Because, but yeah, it's it's a slippery slope. Yeah, because then you're like, what are you giving in? You soft yeah. fucking show him and you, who's
0: boss, and uh, you can't be soft because then to say what these guys who are in this thing who are truly evil people that I mean, Silverstein was a truly, yeah, they look they, for that weakness. Exactly. Yeah. It's and, it's tough. And now you're gonna let him have his paintings on the wall. Who knows if the paintings are soaked with fucking cocaine water or they saying, or you know what I mean? Just Right, like you right. Just you're searching
1: the, yeah. the, the room, the cell. Yeah. So in the nearly nineteen I do not envy corrections officers. There's nothing I would want to do.
0: Let Yeah. <sighs> I want no part. I got a buddy of mine who is a uh corrections officer in San Quentin. And I can't tell you if there was anyone in my life who I thought would have been one. I mean, the man just loved causing horror in me and my friends' lives. Oh, really?
1: Oh, yeah. He just loved having power over people. Damn. Just loved it. So name. you like pity the prisoners that are fucking under I his mean, if watch, you're in San
0: Quentin, no, I don't. Because it's like at some point,
1: listen, I'm a bleeding hard liberal, but I also
0: believe at some point you got to recognize some people are just bad. Yeah. Yeah, and, and when then it, how do you deal with them? How do you deal with them? Yeah. And it's like, well, you put them in prison, you try and help them. Okay, then where do those guys get sent? Yeah. They get sent to San Quentin. Right. And then they become Daryl people. The people in San Quentin normally aren't good.
1: It's, so. like, it's like the equivalent of like, you hanging out with a fucking serial killer guy next door who's just like beating the shit out of everyone he sees. And they're like, Steve, you should like be nice to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's
0: like at some Have you point? Seen him? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's uh, yeah, but he's
1: yeah, but he's like a small Asian guy. And it's like, You gotta be nice <laughs> to small
0: Asian guys. It's like, hey, yeah, to take that part out of it. This is a terrible human being. Right. And when things come down to the to the bare bones, sometimes doesn't matter how liberal or anything you need, punishment has to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're going to allow things to just keep happening because people realize that punishment won't be
1: done then. Decades, though, of solitary confinement. That's 36 Gnarly. years, dog. Longer than you Gnarly. and I have been
0: alive. <laughs> Dude. Alone. No human contact order. That is crazy. I didn't even think about it like that. More than our lifetime. lifetime. No Alone human contact. in a cell. Oof. Okay. Early 1980s, KKK members leave the clan or begin to associate with members of other white power skinhead groups and Aryan Brotherhood groups, Aryan Nation members. This is kind of like, I mean, you don't really hear about the KKK too much anymore. Now we're going more into the more militant and more different kind of stuff. like skinheads. Aryan where it Aryan. comes up a little Yeah, more. Aryan comes up a lot more. 1983, Tom Metzger, one of David Duke's Grand Dragons, forms a splinter group called the White Aryan Resistance in California. California of coming course, up a lot more than the South. He founded the White Aryan Resistance War. In 1983, he was a grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and from the 1970s. Metzger voiced strong opinions to immigration in the United States. He was incarcerated in Los Angeles, California, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and was a subject to several lawsuits and government inquiries. He and his son and War were fined $12 million as a result of the murder of mulagete Serra, 28, an Ethiopian student by skinheads in Portland, Oregon, affiliated
1: with War. Fuck, man. So, again, just going after an Ethiopian student. Like, not picking fights with another gang. Great
0: point. I didn't even think about that. It's like, I'm not trying to be rude to Ethiopian people, but I feel like a lone Ethiopian guy in Portland, Oregon, seems to be an or- easy fucking target yeah. pussy.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, It's it's really fucked up, but also, what, is, what does war stand for again? Uh, White Aryan resistance. Yeah, and you know at his pitch meeting, he's like, this means war, and they're like, "With way with who?" It's like, "No, no, no!" It's like, "It means war." It means war. That's great, but who are we doing We're not gonna, we're not gonna no, not go after war. black people
0: like one on one. No, 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 no. We're gonna find tiny <laughs> Somalians and Ethiopians sprinkled around this country. Yeah.
1: Oh, this doesn't actually mean war. No, no. <laughs> we're not
0: warriors. Yeah, that's the whole thing too. It's like why like, okay, if you're doing this thing, why aren't you being like, we need to take down the bloods, the black disciples, right, the Crips, right. the Mexican. It's like, dude, right. punch just, up. Punch up, dude. You're fucking being a pussy. Yeah. And not a cool pussy. Like right. women average. Like, like who's
1: even gonna react? Like the Ethiopian community? community like, what are you doing? Yeah. And
0: for, like am I su it'd be like if we were pl- like played sports and you beat up on like The
1: special ed team. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. fucking white dudes. We did it. It's like, no, you did nothing. Right. Right. What point have you proven? Proven. Yeah. Metzger
0: changed political party several times and somewhat created his own. In 1980, he won the Democratic Party nomination for the U.S. House of Representatives with over 40,000 votes in San Diego. Dude, San Diego. What the fuck? This ain't even old. This is the '80s. 80s, dog. Jesus. This is kind of interesting, though, you know, this forced the Democratic Party to completely disavow his candidacy and take the unusual step of endorsing his opponent, Republican Claire Bergener. Good for them. Good for both the people. This is one time where you can be like the the government did it right. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if people would do that anymore of some of the stuff we've seen. That's
1: what I'm saying. Like, that's the good old days of fucking just being like, no, that's not okay. Like, I know his name says Democrat next to it, but like, No. I'll vote Republican.
0: Like, on these guys, it's just, yeah, you just go for Republican or Democrat or anything just over them what it should be. And it's like, well, people were always shitty, but it's like, I liked it when they used to hide it from me a little yeah. bit. Yeah,
1: a little bit. A little bit. Right.
0: I loved that when they were like, they would hide it and then screw me. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you got me again. Yeah. No- and this one where you just face-fucking That's my your claim to thing. fame. Yeah. Right. Right sucks so this one i thought was pretty funny in 1999 metzger agreed to stop selling t-shirts of bart simpson in a nazi uniform with the words per
1: pure nazi dude and total nazi dude total nazi dude <laughs> <laughs> i feel like matt grading's like whoa <laughs> i never
0: said that one. also i mean cool shirt if you could find that one That'd not to be, wear but just a I, funny I mean, shirt
1: dude imagine if they like obviously the simpsons people had to put a stop to it but the first time they saw that were like oh no Did we miss an episode? You're not going (laughs) to... Was I not here for an
0: episode? (laughs) Metzger's decision to represent himself at trial became the source of considerable civic derision through the legal incompetence which he displayed, and this is one of my favorite things. Never more so than when he accepted an option for a new trial judge during the initial stages of the trial in place of the interim judge appointed who he thought he wasn't was jewish so he goes i need a fucking new judge You're this guy jew. is a jew and the next guy uh was a black guy named uh ansler l hargety
1: and he's like i want the jew
0: <laughs> bring back the jew i thought this was bad before i i got some t-shirts i can sell how many do i gotta sell to get this guy at the tra- trial, war, National Vice President David Merzella testified about how Metzger's instruct instructed war members to commit violence against minorities. Pretty much that guy ratted on everybody, which led to, t- t- to Tom and his son, John. Uh, they were sued for $12 million. The whole business that they had and everything they owned was taken away from them and sold. And at the time, it was uh, Oregon's biggest civil largest civil verdict in oregon's history at 12 million damn so good for them yeah all right we're almost there to our last spot in a couple crimes so you did really good oh nice thanks buddy yeah this
1: is fascinating
0: sticking in here last time oh two more things on the uh, before we get into modern oh no actually we got two more the modern day stuff Okay, 1984 and 1985, the first white power skinhead gangs and musical groups are formed. Through the skinhead movement itself has few adherents. White power members are absorbed into white supremacist organizations. By the 1990s, skinhead has become largely synonymous with white supremacy gangs due to the adoption of punk skinhead clothing and styles. 1985, the Aryan Brotherhood splits. The Aryan circles form to promote the white supremacist gangs opposed to black and Latino gangs. So, a quick overview of what just happens the emergence of white power gangs from 1970 to 1990 federally mandated desegregation leads to the end of a racially based prison system throughout the 60s rapidly prison gangs organize themselves along racial lines nazi symbols used previously previously by bikers for shock value in the 50s and 60s are adopted by white gangs they soon begin to adopt white supremacist and neo-nazi ideologies Between 1968 and 1972, the Aryan Brotherhood is formed in San Quentin. Though they count Mexican criminals amongst their allies, the Irish mobsters amongst their enemies, they adopt white power slogans and Nordic and Celtic symbols to identify themselves. They and other associated white power groups rapidly earn a reputation for being the most violent and dangerous prison groups in the country. As its members are released, they form ties to neo-Nazi and white supremacist organizations, and their symbols spread to other Groups
1: imagine just being like, Hey, Jorge, that's a cool tattoo. He's like, Oh, it's the Celtic tree of life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, hey, uh, hey Zeus, I have this great gang that you're gonna love. It's called Skinhead White Nationalist Movement. Hey Zeus, do you want to join it with me?
1: Hey, bro, have you heard about Norse mythology? <laughs>
0: This guy Thor has some good points, man. <laughs> you just got to shave off your hair, and then you get a hammer, and then the white people run away. Well, well, Holloway. That should be the fucking name of this episode. In the 1970s and 1980s, the punk skinhead movement in Britain comes to the United States, originally presented as an alternative cons- to conservative, bohemian, and hippie movements seen to be dominated by the upper and middle class. It gains a reputation for street violence, specifically against South Asian immigrants.
1: Huh. So, so
0: specific. Yeah, I think it's Indians, I think, right? Because that's kind of like what there's a lot in Britain. Oh. oh, okay. As support for far-right parties grows in the UK, skinheads become synonymous with far-right street gains, especially in the United States. Like, listen, like if... Oh, it just starts tonight. night I move?
1: When I say, oh, okay, by the way, I'm not saying like, oh, I get it. I love it. No, no. Yeah. no. <laughs> no you I mean, run like, it back, Turbo.
0: Right. I... <laughs> no, but it's just like
1: it's It's such a specific gripe they always have these like splinter groups, you know, well, yeah, it's like it, I'm tired of Indians, and so that's our thing,
0: oh, yeah, and also, you know what it is, you know, man,' cause as being a poor person, I've disliked rich people most of my life, same yeah, I'm always like they're the en- enemy, but it also you know originally presented as an alternative to conservative Bohemian and hippie movements seem to be dominated by the upper and middle class. It gains a reputation for street violence yeah it's like i get what they're doing you know poor people they're seeing these fucking rich wannabe hippie mod
1: finding themselves in new york city kind of bullshit
0: and you're like fuck you you've been on my dad's back you've done all this bullshit right like you got rich
1: and you get to you got rich yeah journey through self-discovery
0: exactly i hate it but then you know what seems to happen all the time poor people rise up and we're great at that but then we allow idiots to take our shit and push us in a way that fucking sucks. Yeah, right. The people that take charge
1: are just the worst. worst.
0: Every time. Richard Butler, a former member of the Civil Shirts, Silver Shirts, founds, founds the Aryan nation, an ardent Nazi. He merges Nazism with the Christian Identity Movement and establishes a headquarters in Idaho. Robert Matthews, among others, followed butler's example and propose a new white nation state in the pacific northwest when mm. the rise of movements such as aryan nation and the order the Klux Klu Klan seems to drop in its support among the new organizations are the nazi lowriders motorcycle club an aryan brotherhood aligned motorcycle gang and the white aryan resistance a christian identi- identity group in california the middle years in the 1980s are seen as a Precipitous rise in neo-Nazism with the Aryan Brotherhood splitting and creating the Aryan Circle, a rival, rival prison gang that sees the Aryan Brotherhood as too tied to Christian identity and religion, not focused enough on crime and white supremacy. <laughs> Guys, we're crime first. <laughs> you keep talking about Jesus. I do not care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heroin. No more confession. <laughs>
1: okay we're not doing confession we're not sorry <laughs> what is happening i just beat a man's
0: face in because he looked at my butt in the prison and you want me to pray to jesus right now <laughs> the end of the decade scenes david du- sees david duke become a member of the louisiana house of representatives a high point for the clue Klux Klan. up next we're gonna get in the modern era <sighs> What's it a, feels modern. Feels that's why I said that's why we're starting to get you know less like this old timey stuff and well, like rights. David Duke's still alive. David so. Duke, yeah, and he seems. I mean, honestly, I am looking at the pictures. He hasn't aged. Whatever no. this. A lot of times you see white racists uh, aging terribly. Yeah, David Duke, not not so. What's your secret? Living with hate. <laughs> Living with hate. It's is it maybe love, it's Maybelline, maybe land. it's hate, <laughs> maybe it's hating
1: Arabs. Um. All right. We'll do one more drink, and then we'll okay. Do this. This is probably how these social clubs started. They're like, all right, where were we? everyone? Got
0: their tea. <laughs> yeah. The so I love how a lot of these evil things started as social clubs. <laughs> right? It's like yeah.
1: again, people with nothing to do,
0: and then you just get getting drunker and drunker, and start bringing up stuff, and you're like, I guess I
1: do think this guy makes a good point. Right. The
0: modern era. Starting in August 1992, the Ruby Ridge standoff galvanizes right-wing groups, leading to more connections between Christian fundamentalists and white supremacists. The militia movement gains momentum following this event. So, if you don't know what happened on Ruby Ridge, essentially it was an 11-day siege in 1992 in Boundary County, Idaho, near Naples, Idaho, which no one knows a fuck. That does zero for zero. Me. Yeah, why was that even included? <laughs> It began on August 21st when deputies of the United States Marshal Service infiltrated initiated action and apprehended and arrested Randy Weaver under a bench warrant after his failure to appear on firearm charges. Now, from, from what I see about this Randy Weaver guy, that really everyone gets a lot really butthurt about, is uh, he was a white supremacist. He wasn't like a crazy one, but he was a white supremacist. Mm-hmm. But like uh, these guys uh, really fucking murdered him and his whole family for.
1: Not really much, just for, like, a bench warrant. It's like Capone. Like, they got him on taxes, even though he did some fucking terrible yes. shit.
0: This, But I don't know if this guy was really doing terrible, other than just being a terrible human being. I don't know if he deserved for what happens come next to him, which really, you know, like we said earlier, which, you know, might have happened with the Louisiana guys. Once you make people a martyr, it adds so much more to the resistance mm-hmm. and the message. Mm-hmm. So, what happens to these guys? After a bench warrant, he fails to reply, reply, uh, appear on his charges. Uh, the United States Marshals go after him. Giving three conflicting dates for his court appearance and suspecting conspiracy against him, Weaver mm. refuses to surrender, and members of his immediate family and family friend Kevin Harris resist as well. The hostage res- rescue team of the Federal Bureau FBI become involved as the siege develops. During the Marshal Service reconteer of the Weaver property, six U.S. Marshals encountered Harris and Sammy Weaver, Randy's 14-year-old son, in the woods near the family cab- cabin. A shootout takes place. Deputy U.S. Marshal William Francis Deegan, Sammy Weaver, and the Weaver's dog, Stryker, all die as a result. Fuck. So that's the son, the dog. Any US Marshal mm-hmm. who were really only going in there because the guy missed was going supposed to court. To be in court but
1: which, they gave conflicting dates, so it shows that That's the thing. It's not like I'm trying not trying to be a Nazi essentially
0: sympathizer. Totally, with. but they were after him. But they were they seemed to be after him, which you know maybe they should have. They may right. be this guy. I mean, he was known being a white supremacist. Right. Weaver's wife Vicky was killed by an FBI sniper.
1: Fuck. Fuck. Now these guys weren't just chilling on a park or whatever. They None were hunkering down. Right. So this could have been seen as like a hostage situation. Yeah.
0: It should have been seen a little bit more than that. All casualties occurred in the first two days of the operation. Weaver surrendered to federal officers 11 days after the incident. Imagine that, dude. You're fucking. So in the first two days, your son and your wife are murdered. Day 11. They're rotting. Night. Exactly. Fuck, man. I mean. And then you're probably like. It, 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 you're not in your head. You're not like these are FBI guys. I need to surrender. You're like these people killed my fucking son. And yeah. also you're probably no, you know Idaho. To me, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana. These are people that are uh, borderline expatriates that go to like Panama to live. Right. Like, right. You're you're on the fringe of society. isolation. Yeah. Yes. So he's like already doesn't like these guys. Mm-hmm. He has his family rotting dead near him. Fuck. He was charged with murder, conspiracy, and assault as well as other crimes. Weaver was acquitted of all charges. Keep in mind, he did kill, I think, a couple U.S. Marshals, but I know he did kill one. Okay. Except a feeling of uh, failing to appear in court for the original firearms charge. Weaver was sentenced to 18 months in prison. His family eventually received $3 million in composition for the killing of his wife and sons by federal
1: agent. Imagine the jurors being like, on counts of murder, not guilty parking ticket <laughs> guilty <laughs> life
0: yeah it's, oh. so this kind of thing is getting now this this and the next two things the siege at Waco Texas mm. uh, further galvanized anti-government conservative and Christian and white power advocates because you know it's kind of seems like these white supremacist guys they just get like other people to just come in on them, you know, just once again for some reason Christians are brought into this. And they arm up. They have like an arsenal that they never seem to use until it's like doomsday. See to me, I'm not even allowed on that one. I believe to me, I think I think I think I should be able to own a bazooka if I want one. I just think I should have to go through the the needed tests and um
1: you know, you should pass like a men in black. Tax. Yes, exactly. Right. Like,
0: as an, I do believe the second Amendment. I should believe you should ever whatever you want. But I do not think that you should just be able to buy like an AK-47 for no reason. because right. No one's ever hunted. At like a
1: stop and shop. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. I agree. In Nevada or something. But I think if I want one and I'm found to be because I do, I do, I do think that we as Americans need to be armed against our government that could go against us one day.
1: I'm, I'm in the same boat and it's not necessarily our government, but something, something, and when you have, like, kids and a family and you're like, dude, I'm helpless. Like, I, you know, I'm not a great fighter. And if some guys, just any guys fucking kick down that door, we're fucked. Yep, 100%. Well, it's the same
0: way a lot of times when you go into, like, these cops. Or not, I'm not anti-cop, but I'm just saying. Right. Like, a cop goes into a person's house and then that person ends up shooting at the cop and the cop kills them. It's yep. like, number one, if, if you're going into someone who may have had a criminal history and you're just breaking into their house... How are you to say that this guy is supposed to believe or know that you're legitimately your cop? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever. That's all nonsense that I probably just lost the rest of these mm. two hundred followers.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, no. they were I was with you for white supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> But you lost me at cop killing. Cop killing. <laughs> no, no, but actually it was the opposite of that one. Uh-huh, Probably uh-huh, okay in cops. Uh-huh. Okay,
0: so 1993, Another. there's three parts of this one that really reinvigorate the white supremacy groups and neo-Nazis in America. The first one was the Ruby Ridge. The second one is in 1993 in February. The siege at Waco, Texas further galvanized anti-government conservative Christians and white power advocates. If you don't know what happened in Waco... Whew, You haven't been alive or you don't know what the fuck is going on. Also known as the Waco Massacre was a law enforcement siege of the compound that belonged to religious sect, the Branch Davidians, which. I mean, if you really look into it, I don't really know what they were doing that bad.
1: Yeah, they really weren't doing. I didn't even know they were. They weren't white supremacists. No, they were nothing. There was
0: nothing wrong with them other than that they were buying guns illegally, but they're also in Texas, which I don't. Canyon. It was like a house in the desert. It was a house in the middle. It was a ma- like an ma- like compound in the middle right. of nowhere. The guy, the main guy, might have been fucking some of his people, but that to me, that I don't know. That doesn't deserve what happens to him.
1: It was some alarming shit, but not what. Enough about for they didn't the deserve what happened. SWAT
0: to him. or military. To and really, when I re- reread this, what happens to him
1: <sighs> makes you want to. There's a movie on like AMC. Yes, TV and it was really movie. good. It was good. It just
0: came out a couple years ago. Yeah, like real actors and shit on. it. Yeah.
1: I think it was on Paramount
0: or one of those kind of like channels that tried to be real. But it shed some a little more light. I know it's like It fishing. was less biased though Yeah, and everything I've read in the past where like David Koresh was a fucking psychopath. Right. It was carried out by the U.S. federal government, Texas state law enforcement, and the U.S. military between February 28th and April 19th 1993. So I believe that's like 51 days. The Branch Davidians were led by David Koresh who was it was a cult. It was a cult yes. but it was a weird but it was a fine cult. Like they weren't doing anything.
1: It was just a cuck, cuck situation. Like he's like dude I'm fucking all your wives like Yeah, he just got to
0: fuck your wives, but you also got—I don't know—it didn't seem that bad. <laughs> like just because you let one guy fuck everybody's wife, what happens to these people? I don't think I agree. Really I agree. right. And we're headquartered at Mant Carmel Center Ranch in the county of Axtell, Texas, shithole, thirteen miles northeast of Waco. I mean, this place, nothing's going on. Yes. So they were suspected of stockpiling illegal weapons. So the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the ATF, obtained a search warrant for the compound and arrest of David Koresh, as well as a select few other group members. The incident began when the ATF attempted to serve a search and arrest warrant on the ranch. As intense gunfire erupted, resulting in the deaths of four government agents and six branch Davidians. Upon the ATF's entering of the property and failure to execute the search warrant, a siege lasting 51 days was initiated by the FBI. Eventually, the FBI launched an assault and initiated a target gas attack in an attempt to force the Branch Davidians out of the ranch. Shortly after, Mount Carmel Center quickly became inflamed in inflamed, engulfed in flames, engulfed in flames, flames. Shortly after the Mount Carmel Center quickly became engulfed in flames, the fire resulted in the death of 78 Branch Davidians, including 25 children, two pregnant women,
1: and David Koresh himself. I mean, it's it feels like one of those stories of like, what do you need all those guns for? And I think the move maybe I'm misremembering this, but like the movie kind of made it seem like they the law enforcement overreacted. And yes. there were people that knew him that were like, bro, I can just go talk to them and they're like well we already actually like shot one of them so i think it's an all out war and it's like being like what are you doing with all those guns oh let me find out i'll start shooting that at that house
0: also what are you doing with all these guns in texas
1: yeah that's right. the thing
0: you know it's not like what it are you was doing with lot. all these guns yes but you're in Texas, dude, and that's where you can go and go to a gun merchant and just buy an AK-47 right now. Yeah. I think from yeah. what I'm, I'm told by the things that I read,
1: and wear it on your back
0: on the and way wear it at. on your back and stuff like that. Yeah. it's like you're not, you're not in San Francisco and there's a huge gun pile thing, right. But and everyone's we're
1: getting weirding out. This is just normal shit. Yeah, and it's weird because like mass shootings hadn't happened yet, so that argument for why they were suspicious is. Is, doesn't exist
0: I think from what I under, what I Can remember And I could be wrong But they were like Somewhat a doomsday Kind of thing That were just getting mm. ready For their shit So that was the second part Of the three part Of what really uh, You know Pushed up more White supremacy groups And stuff like that That became more You know Second amendment the Second Amendment's the guns one, right? It was that First Amendment. Uh, second. Second Amendment yeah. and stuff like that. The, th- the third part of this one was April 19th, 1995, with the Oklahoma City bombings. Timothy McVeigh cites Ruby Ridge and Waco for reasons for the bombings. Ideology ties between the Christian identity movement and the militia movement and the KKK. Neo-Nazis are more apparent in the aftermath. So what essentially these people are feeling like... They're feeling like immigrants and black people are infiltrating the government. and They're trying to unarm them so that they can,
1: I guess, fuck their wives or
0: something. Uh-huh. I'm not really uh-huh. dude. It
1: really is like echoing that movie, like that that movie uh, drama. The, the Waco one? No, the uh, well, you said the black guys like fucking white women. The the movie uh, D.W. Griffith. What was that? Oh yeah, Birth uh, of a Nation. Birth of a Nation. Yeah, like it's that sentiment repeating over and over again of like we're being stepped on for the sake of what equality? This isn't equality. Mm-hmm um it's it's really it people, fascinating that like it and it almost feels like everyone has a chip in their brain where that's a problem to them like i don't feel that way you know but i'm also not like but also i'm not reading the
0: propaganda yeah of, not that i'm siding or empathizing with them but i'm not reading constant propaganda of these people are trying to fuck my mom or yes. my wife and ruin my life and all this stuff right right that's a good point so we're coming to the end of this part the what's happened uh, nor, uh recently november 1997 a rash of racial violence in denver leads to the murder of an attack of a black police officer by
1: white power skinheads. Oh fuck. I was about to say I haven't really heard anything that like these white gangs have done like in the outside. I mean they orchestrated kind of... I mean, you know
0: what, if I had to be serious if I really try to look at a lot of the white supremacist kind of things it seems like they're doing the mass shooter thing recently.
1: Oh and right. That kind right. of seems to be more But on... like these prison gangs aren't like all right fucking loco Four twenty six nine (laughs) six nine. Yeah, go out there and like kill everyone. You know, there's a disconnect. Well, it seems to me what the
0: I mean what when they when the Aryan Brotherhood splintered into being like these guys are crazy racist, but also love God, but we're gonna be crazy racist and we don't care about God. I think the sign thing, the thing went less and less from being Aryan Nation, white people supremacy, to making money and making making just being a gang yeah right Took right over.
1: traditional like yeah. human trafficking human tra- just being bad person, <laughs> right, rather right. than having this fake thing of being in this Aryan nation yeah
0: january 8th 2003 christian identity preacher matthew hale is arrested for soliciting the murder of a federal judge joan lefkow fuck august 10th 2007 jet dennis clem an Aryan circle member kills two police officers pursuing him for a double homicide of two black Teenagers, Jesus. March 19, 2003, the head of the Colorado prison system, Tom Clements, is assassinated by white supremacists.
1: And I assume he's not white.
0: Tom Clements sounds like the whitest name I've ever heard in my life. But yeah. I believe we're going to go into about, after this, we're going to go into four of their biggest uh, crimes that the white supremacists have done in America, and then we'll be done.
1: Okay. I thought
0: one of them was about this one. If not, I should have looked into it more. But, you know, listen, yeah. guys. This is almost a three-hour podcast. You guys can look into some <laughs> shit yourself.
1: Right. Figure out who Tom Clements was yeah. on your own time. Yeah.
0: All right. An overview of white power, Christian identity, and the militia movement from the 1990s to the present. Randy Weaver, a Christian identity isolationist, is killed by federal agents pursuing a firearms charge. The Ruby Ridge standoff galvanizes right-wing groups, leading to more connections between Christian fundamentalists and white supremacists. The militia movement gains momentum following the event, especially over the issue of the Second Amendment. Within a year, a second siege at Waco ends in tragedy. Across the far right, these incidents are taken as a warning over the power of the federal government. Mm. (sighs) Same shit. Shortly after Waco, a bomb is detonated at the federal building in Oklahoma City, Though McVeigh and his accomplices appear to be motivated primarily by anti-government sentiments, they have crossed paths with the KKK, the Christian identity adherents, militiamen, and neo-Nazis prior to the attack. The federal government begins to align all these groups under the umbrella category of white power organizations. I would go, to cut this one off pretty quick here, I've done a decent amount of uh, research into Timothy McVeigh, Mm -hmm. and he was not a white supremacist from anything I ever know. Yeah. He was just a crazy guy that was against technology and against and, government. Right. Yeah, I mean, cra- I mean, he was a crazy genius, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think he went to Harvard at like 13 or
1: Unabomber something. Unabomber type of shit. Yeah, he is a Unabomber. No. Timothy McVeigh is a Unabomber. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma City bombing. Ted Kaczynski. Oh, shit. But, but Timothy McVeigh is, is the same type of like person. Like a, like a really smart, eccentric... I don't know if he was... Uh, all Fuck. i
0: I went all kaczynski on this because i thought i knew i would have done more r- research in the mcveigh i get my mcveighs and my <laughs> it's g- <laughs> I mean, dude, mixed up that's here and another
1: there. one where like it no middle name but still you're gonna wreak some havoc mm-hmm. you know it's like he probably had one in there <laughs> let's go timothy john mcveigh you fucking keep trying shit. to push that middle name yeah. and they're like
0: nah man no, no domestic terrorism motivated by white supremacy neo-nazism and anti-government sentiment continually appear to be the biggest threat facing the united states throughout the 90s i couldn't agree more with that right there and to be to me to this day yeah this seems to be confirmed by events such as the atlanta bombing the columbine massacre and increased violence on the part of white power skinheads and prison gangs yep though 9-11 shifts much attention to islamic extremists white power remains a Potent threat throughout the 2000s. Yeah, the attempted ass- assassinations of a federal judge, the murder of several police officers, the assassination of Tom Clements, the head of the Colorado prison system, as well as a drawdown from Iraq and Afghanistan, reinvigorate efforts against white supremacist gangs and organizations. Though Donald Trump disavows support by white supremacists, his election emboldens neo-Nazi clan, militia, and Christianity identity organizations, as is his support for anti-immigration, anti-government policies, and individuals. By the end of his term, white supremacists are considered by intelligence and law enforcement to be both the most dangerous domestic threat to the United States, as well as a prime
1: driver behind prison violence. That's crazy, man. That is so crazy that like it's public. And it still doesn't feel like it's being treated as like, like when, when nine eleven happened, it was like, damn, dude, like Islam is scary. Yeah, but like no one is really talking about that with white people. I mean, like people are. It's obviously white people are getting shit on a the lot these days, but it does it doesn't feel like this terrorist group, you know. And it's not just all white people, but like these, no, no, these like, I definitely yeah, listen.
0: I've known more white people in my whole life. Well, you know, probably like. white people, everything, everything else. Yeah. And I don't know too many insane, these type of people. But you can't just say that they don't exist. Right. And that they're not an actual problem. Right, right. And especially when you keep seeing all these things that are these guys. You know, because I feel like a lot of the people who go, you know, who get kind of mad at people. Antifa. Antifa, all this kind of stuff. They're like all this. But it's like, well, these guys are killing cops so mm-hmm. if you're pro cop these guys are killing cops these guys are attacking right. judges they're doing all the things that would seem to be the opposite
1: you know kind of kinda... yeah exactly like your your blue lives matter sticker doesn't mean as much when the group that you support kind of you know you can't i'm not gonna say because
0: i honestly believe because i have a lot of family you know in oddly enough southern california Huntington beach that i oh, do it's... not believe are Racists uh-huh. and I don't know necessarily believe that people just because they have the blue lives matter are racist. I just think maybe that the different reading points are fucking it up for some people Yeah, and I wish that there was just like a little more like
1: uh, uh, Not I, I just wish we could all get our that.
0: I wish there was like instead of kvie like listen I love fucking antique roadshow and whatever dumbass shows are having let's just put a channel that gives unbiased news
1: right Frontline's a good one. I feel like Frontline's not unbiased. And it's like a historical kind of account of like, here are things that happen here. Here are things that happen there. This is constantly happening. Take, you know, like be mad at whoever, you know, both sides. It's like when we were talking about that, uh, letting those guys walk from bringing a can into the fucking New Orleans. It's like, yeah, it's both a good thing that they lived because we didn't make martyrs and it's a bad thing that they lived. You said we, the president that they're not getting trouble. Yeah. That's really still happening. So
0: all the things, we a lot of these guys stopped getting in trouble. Yeah. I mean, the fucking Weaver guy was a known white supremacist. I mean, he had his family shit killed by these guys going to this place, but he also killed a U.S. Marshal and he got off scot-free. I don't know if that would have happened to a black person. I can't say. Probably not. Really. Probably yeah. not.
1: I've had guess. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's like case-by-case case basis, but you can't ignore these a pattern a dog yeah and it's not like i made this me
0: or robin made this episode to be anti-white or anything i love being
1: white totally <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah it's <laughs> i'm half white and yeah. and like i didn't grow up in a in a world of that
0: yeah of this or knew many people of this especially being in northern california and i don't want this because yeah. i think just like how i think you know honestly to me lewis farrakhan a lot of shit he said was fucking buck wild but, I mean, yeah, he has more reason to say that than these guys do, but you know, just these supremacist type organizations. Yeah, I'm good without them, right?
1: But I'm sure you know, I grew up with some powerful families, and I'm sure some of them are like, Hey, how are you? and then on the back, like, God damn, Arab kid down do. the street. You know, yeah, I would say you're probably right, I would
0: say you're extremely probably right. Yeah, and a lot of times, maybe. We just never got to this place of getting to know some of these people that were in power to mm-hmm. know what their true feelings are about mm-hmm. things.
1: I'm, I'm, hey, how about this? Keep the statues up and say all the fucked up shit that they did. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Like, instead of praising them as a hero, have a fucking this general or whatever and then put in the plaque like this motherfucker right here. <laughs> you know, I, I want shit talking statues.
0: That's in, you know what? Burke Kreischer has a bit like that. He hasn't put it out yet. Uh-huh. but he has a bit like that. But that. I mean, yours was more boiled down. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, because
1: like it is part of our history, but it's also like them being heroes
0: shouldn't be. Yeah, like you know, it's not necessarily that we should get rid of our history. We should just give it what it's actually done. Yeah. So this person's did this whole terrible thing. We should show what they've done for us to learn it. Because I think I think brushing bad shit that happened in the past under the rug and not and not showing what's happening you know mm. just like getting rid of the statue all this stuff is not as is doesn't lead you to be able to learn from something
1: yeah the problem is we have to cater to the lowest common denominator so it's like on both sides yeah so you're like all right well I get what you're saying but if a dumb motherfucker saw this you know what would happen that's and that's what we always have to worry about it's like the dumbest fucker in the room anyway as we've seen the dumbest motherfucker is a guy who keeps popping his head up
0: throughout this guy who wasn't brought up well Guy who yeah. parents didn't love him. Guy who
1: let some racist guy pretend to be his dad and then mm-hmm. he killed him. And all he did uh, when he wasn't working was go hang out at the social club, which yep. turned out to be a Ku Klux Klan fucking bake sale. You all know? right, we got three of their biggest crimes, maybe four. You ready to do this one? I, I want to hear this. Yeah, because oh. I was asking about it earlier, and I'm I'm sure I've heard of some of them, but I never heard about any of these motherfuckers, and they're really good.
0: All right, we are going to start right now. A few events in white supremacist history. The Whidbey Island Shootout, December 8th, 1984. Robert Matthews, born on January 16th, 1953, resorted and resided in Texas, growing up in a respected house with his father, a local head of Chamber of Commerce, and his other, a Cub Scout. Oh, mother, maybe. Oh, mother. And his mother, a Cub Scout den leader? Okay, maybe... That, okay. So, you know, whatever. Uh, that was messed up in the thing. I re- didn't read it right. It wasn't my fault. Early in his youth, he found the John Birch Society, joining at age 11, attracted to their message of limited government and virulent, virulent anti communism. By the age of 20, he had formed his own organization, comprised largely of Mormon survivalists. He called his organization the Sons of Liberty.
1: Mormons, dude. Easy
0: picking. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Morgans do seem. I mean, they seem like they believe some crazy shit. Like you look at like a Christian or, to me, like Catholicism seems kind of insane. Yeah, like the saints and stuff. And yeah. Christians, you're like, huh, oh, it's a little less. Than, uh, fucking Mormonism seems buck wild. Yeah. Arrested for tax fraud in the early 1970s, he became increasingly extreme and reclusive, eventually moving to an isolated area of the Pacific Northwest. By the early 1980s, he had become a believer in white supremacy and white separatism. After the Sons of Liberty disbanded, he created a new organization, The Circle. We've talked about them multiple times in this. You probably would have wanted to hear this earlier, but it doesn't matter. Robert Matthews was a forefront of a new movement within the white supremacist organizations and gangs, that of moving white families into a new Aryan homeland in the Pacific Northwest. Calling the Northwest Front or Northwest Imperative, Matthew's plan advocated for the settlement of white Protestant families into the region and forced expulsion or extermination of non-whites before setting up a new government to oppose the United States. Whoa! So here's my thing. You and I, I mean, you're you're African, you're Moroccan, so it doesn't really count. You wouldn't be able to be my organization. Mm-hmm. But I have a white supremacist organization. If I could live anywhere in the morning, I don't know if the Pacific Northwest is where I'd want to start.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's like foresty.
0: Yeah, it's foresty, cold, wet. But imagine if you can be in Miami, right, or SoCal. But then you get
1: tan, and then you get the boot. <laughs> <laughs> they have like a paint swatch that they put up to you. <laughs> you honestly,
0: the being tan thing might have done that. To might have been a thing because right. that makes a great point. Because to me, I'm like just Pacific Northwest is a great place, and I fancy yeah. I fancy cold beaches too. Being a Northern California guy, I just love right hoodie and hearing a powerful lotion but totally if you're gonna give me anywhere in the in america right i ain't going there i'm not gonna go that's probably top five but it's not there yeah matthews recruited from other white supremacist groups chiefly the aryan nation and the nation alliance to fund recruiting events and arms purchases matthews and his followers embarked on a criminal spree robbing banks hijacking bank vehicles armored cars and printing counterfeit money I mean, good job, buddy. You did it there. Through their robberies were highly successful. One man, Tom Martinez, was arrested for his role in the counterfe- counterfeiting ring. Martinez quickly gave up with his other members who forewarned went into hiding. In what was one of the largest manhunts in FBI history, Matthews was pursued to an isolated safe house on Whidbey Island, Washington. That's something to notice, too. Pacific Northwest has a lot of these little islands you can live on.
1: Yes. Uh, you take you you drive your car onto the a ferry, boat, yeah, and you live there. And I've I've gone backwards up there. As fuck it's, never it's pretty up there too. It's kind of like haunting, but pretty. You but know, I think I've heard of Woodby Island, and I think it's a nice place now. I mean, I, I think I know of like a nice restaurant on Whidbey Island.
0: One of my uncles lives on one of these islands in the in Washington, and. Um, I hiked
1: one. I mean, it was gorgeous.
0: Yeah, I know. Like, lightweight. You know, as I'm becoming older, I see these islands in the Pacific Northwest or going up to Tahoe and being more isolating is more um, attractive. Peaceful. Yeah. Peaceful and good. But, yeah, I mean, I could see it. I wouldn't mind going to an island with only like
1: 1,200 other people and you just kind of live your own thing and you can see people you want. Until you're living on the island with the shootout with the fucking feds going on. It's about to happen. You're right. Yeah. Like there's a lot more Nazi
0: flags popping up than I thought. <laughs> so we're not gonna we're not gonna get the soul food place.
1: We're just gonna do this Nazi thing. Right. I'm tired of bratwurst. <laughs> there's
0: no Taco Bell. We can't even can do Taco Bell. We can't.
1: we can't do fusions. They don't want any culture fusing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's this Chinese Mediterranean place. Nope, it's already burnt out. All right, guess it's not for me. Wearing a gas mask, Matthews fired at agents and then, upon a police helicopter circling overhead. Oh, so he shot at a helicopter, too. Fuck. A firefight developed during which police utilized grenade launched flares to illuminate the building and attempt to drive Matthews out. One of these projectiles set off a stockpile of ammunition and explosive, setting the house ablaze. Shit. Matthews fired over 1,000 rounds of ammunition against 75 five FBI agents involved in the gunfight. Oh my god. When the blaze subsided, Matthews was found to have died from burns and smoke inhalation. None of the agents were harmed. The case brought national attention to both Matthew's organization, The Order, as well as the white supremacist idea of creating a new nation in the Pacific Northwest. Over 75 arrests and eight trials stemmed from the manhunt, with 10 others arrested for sedition, though their cases were eventually acquitted. Though the order was short-lived, its militancy, criminal-funded raising methods, and its goal of creating a separatist state have endured in the ideology of white supremacy in the United States, its members would eventually create a new organization, Campound, one which would eventually host Timothy McVeigh. Fuck, I should have done more research on Timothy McVeigh.
1: Instead of a Kaczynski?
0: I just thought he was Kaczynski. And I think Timothy McVeigh, the more I'm reading about this shit, was kind of more of a piece of shit rather than... I mean, because Kaczyns- Kaczynski was a bad guy, blah, blah blah blah, but he had like ideals that I don't know if I necessarily right argue with. That
1: technology his approach is a bad was thing. the one, yeah. yeah.
0: But yeah. all right, we got about three more of these: the New Mexico State Penitentiary riot, America's deadliest prison riot, February second and third, nineteen eighty. Overcrowding, unsanitary conditions, and poor food marked the the New Mexico State Penitentiary right in the winter of 1980 dissatisfaction over conditions sorry my cat's getting on my lap and this motherfucker (laughs) will not I couldn't tell you more. I couldn't have more shit around me or on me this cat (laughs) just fucking doesn't care over conditions was exaggerated by the closing of all recreational rehabilitation programs in 1975 and more inmates began moved into isolation and segregation by 1980 nearly 1200 prisoners were living in a prison with a room for 900 beds so about 300 people not having a place to sleep yeah, overcrowding necessitated the moving of the most violent offenders into the common areas occupied by non-violent offenders. Ooh, isn't that what you f- fear? Because mm-hmm. I see, because I see these documentaries of these guys kind of living in like dorm rooms where there's a bunch of bunk beds, and you're like, okay, well, if the bad guys are keeping away, but imagine if the psychos, the Silversteins, these guys. <sighs> yeah, yeah, huge oversight. <laughs> It's like, you know, you go into prison and it's like the only thing is you're like, I'll just stay in my room. Hopefully my roommate rapes me once every couple months.
1: (laughs) Best case scenario. That's it, yeah.
0: And I'll just chill. But when you do these common
1: areas, man. I know. It's just like, it's like. You got to sleep in like the kitchen floor or like the, the, like, what do they call it? The, like, the main hall. Yeah,
0: yeah, like a, combina- like a, yeah, like a common, like, like if someone went to
1: camp and you're like sleeping on these bunk beds all
0: together, yeah. except like half the guys are sexual fucking deviants that want to yeah. rape you and kill you. Among these were the members of the Aryan Brotherhood, the guys who were insane and able to come out, who had infiltrated New Mexico prisons after neo-Nazi bikers and been arrested for smuggling drugs and firearms in New Mexico and in the '70s. On February 2nd, several prisoners, drunk from homemade alcohol, jumped two guards during an early morning prisoner count. With one wearing their uniform, they opened the other cells before breaking into the security office that separated their wing of the prison from others, including two segregation wings for violent offenders and another wing for psychiatric parents. Patients, individuals convicted of sex crimes, victim of inmate violence, in prison informants.
1: Fuck. That's like
0: opening the Gotham Asylum.
1: Yeah, for real, dude. That is like a fucking next Batman video game.
0: Violence and distrust, distrust, distrust had been... Sp- Spreading before the riot as the prison had a large and active program of prison snitches. After being released, Mexican Mafia members and the Aryan Brotherhood took control of the prison. Could anything be more That would be like if you worked at a Chipotle and someone
1: bad in the Mexican Mafia and the Aryan Brotherhood took control. I mean, dude, also, like, you can't think of a worse time to be black in that prison because they're going to, like, straight out kill you. It's the snitches, though, really.
0: Those are what they did was they opened the place for all the guys that were living and had snitched. Yeah. And now those guys are open. So the guards were kept isolated and, depending on their guards, were kept safe or beaten, raped, and tortured. My God. While inmates immediately began to settle scores, many of the Aryan Brotherhood members released from violent offenders wing hatched a plan to break into the isolation wing of the prison and kill the informers. Smart. I mean. Mission accomplished in that sense. I mean, you're definitely going to make guys not want to rap before because the guy's going to be like, listen, I'm going to put you in your own wing. No one's going to mess with you. And then you're like, well, this one guy fucking broke in and changed everything. Exactly. No one's safe here. Two motivating factors for their upcoming for coming up with a plan have been theorized. One, that they wanted to assert their status in a largely Hispanic prison and eliminate inmates who had been informed, especially those contributing information on drug and firearm cases pending outside the prison. Mm. Led by the Aryan Brotherhood, a multiracial execution squad. Oh,
1: well, that's cool. They brought with, everyone <laughs> together. Armed
0: with... <laughs> this guy we're, we're going to have some buddies over. Just makes them... Make some. They were armed with blowtorches, kitchen utensils, <laughs> and axes eventually cut from the bars that separated the as- isolation ward from the rest of the prison. So not only are you getting burned alive, you're getting stabbed with kitchen utensils, and you're getting killed by axes made from the bars that separated you from the rest of the prison.
1: And they're just going, we are the world. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: live AIDS to the prison. (laughs) After interrogating 96 individuals in the war, the Aryan Brotherhood and Mexican gang members began to systematically torture and kill inmates that had identified as threats. Eyewitnesses' account reported prisoners being executed with those homemade axes, being burned
1: alive with those blowtorches, and being hung and bled out by their genitals. My God, dude. That's like some Game of Thrones, like, fucking evil. Corpses were often systematically dismembered and
0: burned. Jesus, man. After the massacre, most internal prison, parole, and psychiatric records were burned. Meanwhile, negotiations were undertaken by the Dep- Department of Corrections and the State Police with four inmates to allow the state police to reoccupy the prison. The negotiations were not recorded and done in secret. By the morning of the 3rd, the state police entered and cleared the prison. Out of the fear of reprisals, none of the corrections officers had been killed, though several had suffered life-threatening injuries. Which, you know, that really probably goes back to what they saw that happened, that
1: Silverstein guy. Just 36 years of... I, I agree. I think at a certain point they're like... I don't want to live the rest of my life like Like, I'll do whatever I got to do. Like it seemed
0: really that this was really about getting the snitches and to show that if you snitch on us, no matter what
1: the fuck they do, we will come and get you. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we made our statement now. Like, let's try and leave this situation. Yes. That's that's interesting. It's like being like, yes, we
0: all did this. But also I did not hurt that guard. Mm -hmm. So do not put me in third. But also what we talked
1: about again, if you can set a precedent. Right. Right, it's like, oh, so... But, uh, dude, it seems like they lost so much control that they're coming in, and they're like, all right, who do we kill? Like, every record is burned, and, like... Well, they did that,
0: but then they also... When when they set the
1: precedent that if
0: you fuck with a guard, you will be sent into a no-human-contact, right. solitary confinement for 36 years,
1: might have been a blessing in disguise because yeah. maybe more guards would have been killed if they didn't set this precedent. Right, right, because they... I think it's the fear that they would have known, okay, they can't do that to all of us, but they're going to pick one or two of us. Yes. And I don't want it to be me. Yeah. Because I'll do whatever I gotta do. It,
0: like you know, you're, I mean, It's
1: untrustworthy people. Everyone's flipping.
0: A lot of the people, we're trying to kill the guys who flipped. Uh, people are flipping. Yeah. It's, yes. Oh, okay. An investigation of the riot found that 33 inmates had been killed, but due to the dismemberment dismember- and burning of victims and destruction of records, the true count may have been higher. Few prisoners corro- corroborated with the investigation. The heaviest sentence handed down to the aftermath for any of the perpetrators was only nine years. So pretty interesting there. And now we are up to the last story in the history of white supremacist groups in America. Zach, once again, thanks for braving this one for me. Oh, thank I think you for it's having been me. Damn near three hours. This one is Ronald D. Yandel, the man who attempted to build an army behind bars night June 6th,
1: 2019. So this motherfucker. You're saying it too ethnic. He's got to be like, it's Yandel, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Ronald D. Yandel. <laughs>
0: um, Ronald D. Yandel was already serving a life sentence when he was placed in solitary confinement in California's most secure supermax prison, Pelican Bay. By 2015, he had served 15 years in solitary confinement. <laughs> Fuck. With prison staff citing his role as one of the three commissioners of the Aryan Brotherhood and his role as a facilitator and organizer of crime within California's prison system. You know what I said? Like the, I don't think I brought this up before, but a lot of times you see these guys in solitary confinement for 15, 36 years, but then they're known as the leaders of the Aryan Brotherhood. And it's like... That means someone's been having to get these motherfuckers' messages out. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, how can you be the leader of America and you live on Mars and no one's around you?
1: Yeah, and it's got to be a guard. It's got to be. I mean, no one else can get in there. And you... This might be getting me in trouble, but I think the two only ways that you can fix
0: policing in America and this stuff is to pay police more money so that you get a higher caliber of... A police officer, you know? Because right now, it's like, I don't know. And same with these guys. Like, you'd have to pay prison guards so much
1: money that... It's not worth it for them to
0: work for this. the other guys.
1: Interesting. And then
0: the same thing with police department. it's you, You're not getting... Because, you know, the police, I, the police and sheriff, I have nothing against them, blah, blah, blah whatever. But what I'm saying is they're getting people that don't necessarily need a college education. And to say, now, if I'm a person who just graduated from college and I see this job opportunity that doesn't pay you as much... You're just getting a lower class person, so I f- to me you know, honestly I feel like the only way to actually fix the police problem is to pay them more, but then have mm. maybe redo everything, but then pay more. Refund um, the police, <laughs> yeah, defund, no, refund, or start a new thing that's good, but just pays people more so you get a higher caliber of human being rather than not just saying all police are bad or that there's not a high no. no, no. I'm just saying that the people that submit their. Uh, stuff it's harder to do after protests and the reform that's why to me i feel like sheriffs are a little bit better than police because it's easier to be a police than it is to be a sheriff mm. after protests and reforms at pelican bay in 2015 he was released in the general populace of the new Folsom prison in sacramento sac town shout out baby <laughs> 916 come with nine inch dicks we out here baby swinging pipe <laughs> Among his first acts was to acquire a contraband cell phone. What followed would lead to one of the largest arrests of a criminal enterprise in California's history. Yandel and his co-conspirators, conspirators, all senior members of the Aryan Brotherhood, began to reach out to each other, to other gang members across California, by intimidating, bribery. Bribing and murdering other white gang members with aid from the Mexican Mafia, Yandel and 15 other key members sought to eliminate rival white gangs, as well as bring other factions of the Aryan Brotherhood under their centralized control. Already one of the oldest and most powerful prison gangs, Yandel, was chiefly motivated by trying to bring the entirety of the white-controlled drug trade in California prison under his purview and that's kind of something that you think of when you're in solitary confinement for 16 years right how do we
1: get the power back how do i get the
0: power how do i think of these weird ass things to do how do i go over and over and over
1: in my head yeah not to say that this guy shouldn't have been by himself but that's the most solitary confinement idea to come out with Being like all right guys hear me out we got to kill a bunch of white people Mm. (laughs) 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 you okay chief (laughs) hey
0: boss you all right that's the one where you flipped it on yourself. You know what I mean? You get so you're like, no one likes me because they're all assholes. Well, maybe they don't like me because I don't like me. Right. We're our own worst enemy. Unbeknownst to Gandel, the phone he had acquired was tapped. Smart, you know. God, that's pretty smart to do, you know. Gotta do it. To loosely let in phones in your prison so you can see what people are talking about. That is smart. That is smart. Officials discovered that Yandel had made an alliance not only to the Mexican Mafia, but four other white supremacist gangs, the Aryan Skinheads, the Wolf Pack, the American Front, and the Golden State Skinheads, which actually had the best two shooters, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson.
1: (laughs) No relation. No
0: relations, just great
1: shooters. (laughs) And was
0: attempting to build an alliance with public enemy number one, Penai, we remember those guys, a rival white supremacist Mm. gang whose founder had been murdered by the Aryan Brotherhood within the brotherhood itself Yandel wanted to purge the gang and create a new game composed solely of hardened
1: killers. Now we're getting to it. He's like, "No race, guys. Come on. Who here has taken more than a handful of lives? <laughs> Give or
0: take <laughs> in an a bushel of people." <laughs> By the time Yandel has brought was brought to court on June 6, 2019, five inmates had already been murdered and four other future victims had been moved to protective custody additionally dodges, dozens of charges were made stemming from racketeering charges primarily from drug deals and protection raffes, rackets besides Yanel, among those charged were another member of the Aryan Brotherhood Leadership Commission as well as two key members who have since left prison and disappeared fuck they're on the run bro. or killed
1: oh yeah that's probably it
0: And Yandel has since been moved awaiting a further trial lately has been. He has become embroiled in a lawsuit against the state of California, signing his treatment since the charges were made in 2019. You know, kind of what the last guy said, you know, uh, Silverstein, that. Yeah, Uh,
1: inhumane. Yeah,
0: but don't don't do inhumane shit. You won't get there. Since his movement, he has already been accused by prison guards of communicating illegally with other inmates, as well as organizing an effort by Aryan Brotherhood members to tamper with locks within the prison.
1: It's like, just kill this guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how many... I, you know what? Reading this makes me believe in the death penalty again. It's just would... like, it's dude, this guy will fucking overtake you from isolation.
0: Yeah, like, what was he at? 16 years of isolation?
1: 15, yeah. 15 years of
0: isolation. This guy's still at it. Just kill him. And, like, running shit. And running shit. Like, like Just
1: kill this guy. Yeah. And yeah. I'm a libtard cuck. Same. It's like, just... I don't think we should decide, like, who gets to die, but... Sometimes you I think like, go. it's like a punch card. You know yeah. What I mean? We don't have the benefit of having an Australia where we just like, throw to that island no one fucking goes to yes. <laughs> I thought
0: we did. Pelican Island. These motherfuckers <laughs> right. still do it. Searches based on information discovered in his wiretap have led investigators to sites outside the prison system where Aryan Brotherhood's members have been manufacturing drugs, storing illegal arms. California officials called the ongoing case one of the biggest takedowns in organized crime in the state history. Mm. That was it, Zach. We did it. Put in probably, I'd say at least two and a half hours of white supremacist history. Yeah,
1: thanks for coming along with the journey, buddy. Dude, thank you, man. Hopefully, so, it was somewhat interesting. It was super interesting,
0: Zach. You know, I think I talked over most of you once the whole time. But tell them uh, how we can get a how we can get in contact with you, and if you guys want a podcast that's just pure bliss and funny and hilariousness. Check out Zach's. He's got one with my buddy Toria Van Gorl, Emily Catalano, all great comics, and uh, a lot more
1: upbeat than this one. Now, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Hesby Street. Hesby Hesby Street 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 Pod pod, uh, is a good one, Um, and you can watch uh, video clips on Instagram at Hesby Street Pod. And I the Instagram clips hit. Everyone's very funny, and I always
0: laugh, and I follow them, not because I'm friends, but because I think it's very funny.
1: Yeah, I will understand, you know, you only get a few podcasts that you really want to listen to, so if we're not in that top group, come watch, like, 15-second clips. That'll make you laugh, and then eventually, if you want to listen, they're great, too. Uh, also, add Zach Um, Yeah, follow me. I got some stand-up dates coming up. And
0: uh, Hilarious guy, one of my favorite stand-up comics, a guy I normally... Always try to sign myself with like if I'm starting a white supremacist organization between the ki- uh-huh. in prison, yeah. Zach would have been one of the first guys that would have called. It's
1: funny because I always write letters to you about how you're like a father to me. Oh, I feel like <laughs> no you're one kill has me what now. we have. I feel like you're
0: going to kill me right now. <laughs>
1: no one has what we have now that I think about it.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Check it out next week. I think uh, we're going to go into the Bamboo Union, which is a Taiwanese drug trade organization that there's not a lot of information on because they assassinate everyone who's been talking about them. But luckily, they've been uh, kind of dormant for 10 years, so hopefully I don't die. See you guys next week on World of Drugs, or it I might have changed my name. Think about that. Bye.